Welcome to Shining the Light on Restoration Practice, a 20-minute podcast. I'm Catherine Santoro. And I'm Eleonora DiMichel. We're both independent consultants with a long history in child protection work and uh, a deep passion for restoring children and young people back to family and community when possible. Okay, so what are we here to talk about today? So firstly, we're going to shine a light on good restoration practice for the workers and agencies in the Permanency Support Program to support their restoration work with families. And we also want to hear the voices and stories of families, children, carers, to understand their lived experience and enhance child-centred family-focused restorations. So who did we talk to? There are a lot of people involved in the restoration process and everyone brings their own lens and their own wisdom to that process. We spoke to three mums who had their children return to their care. We we spoke to two carers who have been involved in restorations. We spoke to two restoration caseworkers. We spoke to three restoration team leaders. And a grandmother and an academic and family inclusion expert. An Aboriginal restoration practitioner. And we'll hear some of their voices and some of their wisdom today. Okay, what did we talk about? We asked two questions. The first question was thinking about their restoration experience. What piece of advice would they give other parents or other professionals or carers to help make the restoration process successful? And we also asked them, what is one thing we could do differently or more of in the future to support successful restorations? So what did they say? Well, I've got the restoration story of a family um, of Veronica, Julia and Karen. They're, they're a wonderful Italian family. There was mum Veronica, there was her mother, nonna Julia, and the carer, Karen, who looked after their children. They said lots of helpful things. So let's hear from them. Um, I think, like, having having the same views and being on the same page, like, you know, working on, you know, issues that were originally, you know, stated when their kids were taken into foster care and um, just having that communication between all of the parties, like, and just having that support from the carer and, you know, being able to communicate and um, not be, not feeling excluded or discriminated because, you know, being the birth parent and just working towards that, you know, um, united front for the children. Once the page change and people start to listen, everything seems, as Veronica said, very easy and everybody thought, oh, yes, okay, we we want that, we all want that. Because previously the department was trying to make the reunification a lot the process a lot longer, like thinking you're not ready for that, we're not ready to give the children back, and there was no reason for it to make it longer. I think uh, like when 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 my son was born and he he got 
um, put into foster care with Karen and Matthew, um, they, you know, they were really supportive of, of me. Like they're really open to meet me, to, you know, you know, have that connection with with my son and, you know, really important to back up my family. Like, you know, I felt like a different approach than before. Like the other carer, you know, um, mm-hmm. didn't even talk to me, only at visits that drop off and pick up. Like I felt like it was very closed off and I felt like it was either her or the, or the department not wanting to have that communication between parents and carer and and for me like everything changed from from there and the change of staff you know in in the department and that's when things started to turn around and we were actually you know still like we actually found hope that they will come back that my children will be reunified and you know I was very thankful like to Karen and Matthew and you know the new team leader and caseworker that we had that were really you know intensive like we're coming and you know observing like me even at visits like you know and just seeing like that I you know I'm nurturing and that you know I I want the best for the children and I wanted them Mm. to come home and I've done everything they asked of me like I got to a point where they couldn't say well we can't we're going to keep your children they kept saying we want to give you back your children we just want to make sure that everything's right and everything's safe and your life has improved and and Veronica I'm really interested to, to hear what difference did it make when the that that change happened what difference did it make for you and also what difference did it make for Julia when you had a team that you felt that you were more able to work with oh massive it was a massive change like everything just went from zero to hero like we just felt like everyone was on board it was the team effort like we just felt so proud and you know really like privileged to work with such professionals like you know Karen and and even our lawyer that was just you know exceptional as well and even you know having the having the right people that understand our family and our values and you know how important it is for us you know being Italian having that cultural background of family and unity and you know incorporating visits with you know, Karen and the kids and my mum, like, it was really special, like, really made an impact in our lives. And, yeah. yeah. In, in and love, the- love is the most, it's the best ingredient you can give a child, love. If you put that child first, you have no problem. Wow. What wise words from Nonna Julia, huh? And you know what else? There was a carer I spoke with. Her name is Susan. And she's been caring for kids for over 24 years now and has been involved in many restorations. So she's got some great things to say. Let's hear from her. It must be child-focused, then family-focused, then parent-focused. The, ch- the children are 
in the predicament they're in for reasons. Mum and dad have many things usually to achieve to get their child back or to make the restoration work. And if it doesn't work, you still want them to have a good bond with their family. But for that to happen, the workers, the carers, to some degree the parents, even though they can't see it, it must be child-focused. must be done in a way that the parent can learn to be with the child. Um, the best advice I can give is every sentence that you start with should start with the child needs, not wants, needs. The parents' needs have to be part of that. But we are where we are because the child's needs weren't being met. So if we're all taught from the beginning and we teach from the outset of each child the child's needs, I actually think a lot of things will fall into place. That's just incredible. Isn't that so simple and so impactful, keeping the child in the centre of the room? It really does help us stay focused in our work, you know, and helps manage those competing priorities between people involved in the restoration process. It helps us keep children visible when we get really busy. I heard a very similar message from Chris, the Permanency Support Manager from Care South, and this is what he had to share with us. I mean, I think the main thing is to work on building a connection. Um, the connection for a child, I mean, if we're talking about restoration, we also want to look at restoration to a family. Um, a lot of people pigeonhole thinking it's just to natural parents, and that should obviously be the main focus, but I think it should be a connection for, for that child to their family and, and, and both sides of the family or many sides of the family. You know. um, but I think the, the idea is that it, 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 a child who's come into care has lost a connection and you really need to make sure you focus, you build that and try and build their ability to be able to be a part of that family in whatever way you can. And you need to start that from the time that that child comes in and not wait till you find something and work hard at finding the family that are there and are helping to build a connection and assisting and supporting um, that some of the challenges that they might all have in terms of how they build that. That's what you're trying to do, equip them with the skills to be able to cope with what's going to happen, whether they're one or whether they're 11 or whether they're 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best ability you can do that in, in that time frame. And, and we all know restorations to birth families do not always, aren't always successful. So there are times when you know, children remain in placements, but that shouldn't lose the connection. The connection should still be there for the length for the, the, the length of time that child's there or with the view to that being a part of that child's life for, you know, for their entire life. Okay, Elle, let's pause for a moment and think about what we've heard from everybody so far. Yeah, that's a good idea. So, Kath, what stood out for you in terms of good practice? You know, I heard loud and clear Start genuine and thorough family finding efforts early when the child first comes into care. That was the key message for me. Oh, absolutely. Make this a priority in practice. We must make time to do this. A lot of the practice around the world and recent research supports what these people have just told us. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing something we know well, and that is the importance of connection and relationship building for families, children and young people. You know, it's so obvious when you think about it. Children and young people coming into care have had their relationships and their community connections disrupted. 
Um, and research tells us that well-being, both in the short term and the longer term, requires repair to those relationships. Mm-hmm. Speaking of child focus and connection, I spoke to a wonderful young person, Solomon, who returned to his family's care, and he said very similar, you know. Um, so let's hear his voice. Um, well, if the kid doesn't want to change, it won't work. And also if the parents or carers need to change or learn ways to help the kid. So well, do you think that it's just not about the young person changing? It's about as well, it's about the parent or carer changing? Yeah. Too? Like, yeah, getting better skills to understand? Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful story. Uh, you know, these are real people with lived experiences and real stories. They're never just a case. Um, and I've got some more words of wisdom from uh, a birth mother, Leslie, who's a proud Aboriginal woman, about the importance of relationships in the restoration process as well. Um, he's been staying with me as well. And I work with the carer. She works with me. So I think you need to have a, a good rela- like a good relationship with the carer because they've got the kids majority of time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you need to like you know like for instance like if Bailey's in trouble there, and he comes to our house, then we follow through with what you know you know like he can't come here and think he can do the same thing that he's done there to get in trouble with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if he's lost his Xbox, then he can't play his Xbox here, or you know yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. and the same that happens here as well. If he's been naughty here and played up on us, then mm. when he goes back to his carer, his carer will take his Xbox off him or his phone off him or to chastise him, you know what I mean? So, yeah. it's good that you have a, a good relationship with them and work with them and don't just, you know, think, oh, okay, I'm the parent, I should do what I want to do, you know? It's so obvious when it's said so clearly. So well done to Leslie. I've got so much admiration for the incredible efforts families and practitioners go to to have children return safely to their family and their community. You know, it's really clear to me that facilitating genuine relationships between birth families and carers seems to make restoration much more possible and creates better outcomes for kids and everyone, even when restoration doesn't go ahead. Let's hear from Sally, a seasoned restoration practitioner of more than 20 years and what she had to say. These are our, so take the really big decisions really seriously and we do. So, you know, the decision to um, take a child into long-term care, even though we've been doing this for many, 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 many years, Mm. I still, when I have to write a report where I'm recommending that, I still, you know, pour over it because, you know, I know, and it is that stuff around um, seeing the child for their entire lives, not just now. So knowing what that's going to be like for a child, even though, um, you know, deep down it's the right decision that it's not safe for a child to go home, but what that's going to mean for that child as a young adult not being with their family or not having those connections, particularly in cases where you've got one sibling that's gone home and one hasn't. They they are particularly very troubling, I think. Yeah, yeah very yeah. difficult. Sally's message was really powerful 
and makes you reflect on the importance of cultural curiosity and cultural planning when facilitating decisions for all families from diverse cultures and the incredible responsibility we have as practitioners and also the risk that we hold as restoration workers as well. Indeed, we do. Um, Lastly, here's Shirley, who's an Aboriginal restoration practitioner. You know, we know that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children and young people are overrepresented 10 times more in our out-of-home care sector nationally. Let's hear from Shirley now about how we can work across difference to improve practice around this wicked problem. Think about valuing the knowledge and experience of other Aboriginal staff. If there's somebody in their organisation that they could actually either work alongside or or consult with, I think that's really important. Um, I think it's really important that that they spend some time doing their own knowledge building around Aboriginal business um, and that they build an understanding of historical events and how that might have actually impacted on the way their families respond. But also to think about what does that mean for the work that they're doing now? I think it's really important for staff to stay curious um, and to ask questions, um, even to admit, look, I'm not really sure that would mean, what that would mean for your family. Can you tell me about that? So when you're in a place of curiosity, it provides the opportunity for the Aboriginal person to tell how it actually is for them and for the non-Aboriginal person to actually learn what that means. The other thing I would say to a non-Aboriginal staff member is, A word that you might use and a word that a non-Aboriginal person might use may not translate in the same way. So for an Aboriginal person, if they're talking about family, they may be talking about mum, dad and two kids, but quite possibly they're talking about aunties, uncles, other mothers and other fathers and how that actually impacts on family. So even even though the word family... Um, is said the same way, is spelt the same way, it may well have another meaning. And I think it's really important that staff stay curious, to ask questions, to not assume from their understanding what something means and how that actually impacts on a family. I just really want to highlight the strength and diversity in Aboriginal culture and that um, Aboriginal people, you know, we have the most amazing families. We have these huge, diverse um, kinship systems and, you know, we have these really beautiful parenting things that have been handed down from our ancestors that we can reflect on and, you know, we can reflect on, you know, um, what our ancestors would say about how we're doing and, and, um, you know, and there's beauty in that. There is strength there is protective factors in Aboriginal culture and you know for staff to be able to link back to culture as a protective factor rather than being a risk factor um, is so very important Um, and you know to realise that you know our families we we love our kids and we just want to see the best for them um, and to delight in you know um, the same things Aboriginal people are delighting in and that's Aboriginal culture that's our children that's our kinship systems that's our ways of being doing and knowing and you know what that um that you can still do business in that in those structures um and honor um aboriginal business so yeah i guess you know aboriginal culture is definitely a protective factor it's it's not a risk factor for us what profound wisdom that we really need to have to pay attention to So what lessons have we learned for practice? Let's reflect. What's been the biggest takeaways for you, Kat? 
the the biggest message I've heard loud and clear was the practice of being child-centred. All our work needs to keep the kids as the focus. This is something we often talk about and we, we hear that term, keeping the child in the centre of the room regularly, but do we actually do it? And what I heard today from parents and carers and professionals were actual things we can do and actions we can take to keep children and young people at the heart of the restoration process. Oh, absolutely. I agree, Kat. And also the importance and the impact of the decisions that we make for families really stood out for me because these decisions influence the trajectory of a child's life as well as a family's life now and into the future. So they really need to be based on thorough assessment and in consultation with everyone involved. That's right. It really is family-focused practice and building relationships in a nutshell. No one family and no one agency can promote safe, safe restoration alone. We need each other to make successful restorations possible now and make them sustainable in the future. Absolutely. And really, the restoration process needs to reflect both timeliness and fairness. That means that we may need to be much more explicit as practitioners about what is good enough parenting within our communities and what is the socioeconomic context in which families are trying to not only survive but also thrive. And we need to become much more comfortable in sitting with some tolerable risk. That will be an important topic that we'll cover in more detail in our next podcast, Supporting Successful Restoration. So thank you to all the wonderful people that shared their their stories and experiences with us today. It took a lot of courage. And in the words of Brené Brown, there's no such thing as courage without vulnerability or bravery without fear. Mm, I love that saying. So we look forward to joining you again in our next podcast and thank you for listening.